Well, good morning. I'm back, <laughs> and uh, and I get to share the word this morning, which uh, which I will tell you this: that when we first talked about doing this, and, and Jim's like, "Yeah, you're gonna preach that. That'll be your last time to preach here for a while, and eventually I'll, I'll come back. We'll do some swapsies or something with with Pastor Jim and I or something." Uh, but uh, but I said, "Okay, but as long as we do the commissioning after I preach, so I don't wind up crying or being emotional, so that'll work." Well, as you can see how well that went. So, uh, <laughs> so we'll see how we do with this. Uh, I am excited, though, to, to share the word. We get to walk through the book of Daniel. We're going to be in the book of Daniel. So if you have a Bible, would love for you to open it. If you want a Bible and you're in the room, there's some in the back. So if you even want to just get up while I'm talking and grab one. If you have a phone app, do that. If you're at home, go find one. And uh, love for you to follow along. We're going to be in chapter 4 and 5 of Daniel. And uh, Daniel's an interesting book. It's one that, that we've been walking through. And what is fascinating is our title is Hope in a Hostile World, which seemed very appropriate for the world we live in right now, right? Uh, and what is even more appropriate is Daniel and our time, and really a lot of different times throughout human history, are so much alike. That, that we read this book that is thousands of years removed from our context, but yet the context still works. That there's so much that still is applicable to right now. And it feels like sometimes you're reading something from a news report today when you're reading the book of Daniel, which is just fascinating and way cool how God does that. So we're going to dive in. Uh, I, I'm just going to open with prayer, and then we're going we're gonna to dive into this. Father God, I'm going to pray right now that you, you just come into this place. And Lord, I pray you empty me out of everything that's, that's of me. Empty us all out, Lord. And fill us with your spirit. Lord, I pray that the things that come out of my mouth are from you. And that anything is not is forgotten. Lord, we give you praise. Amen. All right, so we are walking through this book. And I love the structure of the book. If, I don't know if you've noticed, but we've been kind of doing this, this weird way of doing it. We haven't just been going one, two, three, four, five, six through the book of Daniel because that's not the way it's structured. It's actually structured similar to a, a palindrome. I think I'm saying that right. It's when a word you know, can be read forward and backwards like Hannah or uh, Radar or Bob. <laughs> you know, that, those, those words you can go frontwards and backwards, which works great for a dyslexic, so that's pretty cool. Um, but it, it has the these parallel. It has these chapters that kind of go together. So we walk through 2 and 7, and then 3 and 8, and now we're doing 4 and 5, which is the center of the book of Daniel. And it is very, very important. The center of a book matters to the writers of this book. So there's two stories that we're going to be looking at, two kings that have an issue, and they reach out to Daniel to help them understand what is going on. One is a dream, and one is this weird handwriting on the wall thing that happens. So we're going to go through it. I'm not going to go verse by verse. I'm going to skip along. So if you have a Bible, it'd be great if you just kind of try and track along with and see where we're going with that. If not, just, just listen in. So the first story starts with King Nebuchadnezzar. And he sends this message to the world. It's like there's this flashback. Like he's writing this after, he's telling the story, either after this happened. So it's from his perspective, and he's telling what happened. He says, I want you all to know the miraculous signs and wonders the Most High God has performed for me. That's what Nebuchadnezzar says. Now remember, Nebuchadnezzar is not who you'd li likely hear these words come out of. He's a pretty full-of-himself guy, but what we find out is he was humbled. And that's what our theme is today, is humility. That to be fully human and fully humbled are this beautiful interchange that you have to be fully humble to be fully human and likewise. So he goes on to say he, he tells about and exalts God at the beginning and then he goes on to tell what happened that he was living in his palace in comfort and prosperity. 
And he had this dream that frightened him. Now, he's had dreams before that, that Daniel's helped him with, so this is nothing new. So he brings together his, his experts, his magi, his, his, his advisors, and he says, here's my dream. You tell me what it means. Well, like before, they fail. It's, it's kind of funny. I don't know why he keeps these people around. So they got one job to do, and they don't do it well. And it's like they just don't get it. They don't know what, what the dream means. So this time, though, he calls for Daniel, and Daniel comes before him, and then he tells him the dream. This is the dream. I had a dream that there was a large tree in the middle of the earth. It was very tall and strong, reaching to the heavens for all the world to see. It had leaves and it had fruit, and all the wild animals were, were fed by it and lived by it. It lived in its shade, the birds in it, its branches. Then he saw a messenger, a holy one, come down from heaven. And the messenger shouted, cut down the tree! I don't know, you got to say it like that. I don't know why, but you do. <laughs> cut down the tree, scatter the fruit, scatter the wild animals. Leave a stump with roots just in the ground and a bronze, bronze thing around it. And let him live, and it says the hymn, so that means it's telling us that the tree represents a person, a hymn, a, 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 not, not just a kingdom, but a, but a person. Let him live with the wild animals and the plants and the field for seven periods of time. We don't know what that is. Seven periods of time could be seven months, could be seven years. Could be, it's whatever it takes. Whatever it was, it was. It's not important the exact length. It's, it's the amount of time that was appropriate and that was needed. That's, that's what we need to walk away from that. Seven periods of time. Let his, let his mind be like that of a wild animal instead of a human. And he's going to go and eat grass and he's going to live out in the out in the on the elements, there's going to be dew on them, and, and all this. So that's what happens. Now, there's an interesting thing that the messenger tells him why, even in the dream, which is fascinating because he needs the dream interpreted still. It's like, literally the messenger told you why. It, it really didn't, it, you didn't need to know the details. The why mattered, and the messenger is very clear on it. This is important for us, because the why applies to us today. The most high, this is what the messenger says, rules over the kingdoms of the world. The Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world. Boy, doesn't that give you peace in our world. And then it says, he gives them to anyone he chooses. He gives them to anyone he chooses. Wow, this is the Bible written a long time ago. <laughs> Let that soak in how much that means to us today. So King Nebuchadnezzar asked Daniel, this is the dream, now tell me what it means. And, uh, and I know that you can because the spirit of the holy gods is with you. He, he recognizes Daniel has this ability, but in fact, Daniel doesn't have the ability. Daniel has the anointing of God, that God has the ability, and Daniel knows that. Over and over, we see Daniel say, it's not me, I'm not doing it, God's doing this through me. Da Daniel lives into this humility. So Daniel starts to explain the dream, but upon hearing the dream, Daniel was overcome with fright. And he, wasn't, he was afraid to tell Nebuchadnezzar what it meant. He had this moment of like, ooh, I don't even want to tell him what this is going to be. I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of hesitant. Uh, a little bit of context. Daniel's around 50 years old when this has happened. He's some, somewhere in his 50s. He's already had some, some experience. He's already, and Nebuchadnezzar and him, there seems to be this respect he has for Nebuchadnezzar or this relationship that they have that's very interesting. It's not like he thinks Nebuchadnezzar is a great man of God. That's not what's going on. But he still, even though that's the case, has a respect level for him and is kind of like going, ooh, I don't really want to tell him this because I know that th what this means and it's bad stuff. But Daniel tells him. He says, let me summarize. It's, it's uh, the tree's you, 
and uh, your kingdom is strong. It, it's amazing. It's the best kingdom ever made in human standings, and, but you will be driven from society, and you'll live like a cow out in the woods, eating grass for seven periods of time until you learn, and it's restated then, until you learn the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone he pleases. The Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone he pleases. He tells them that. That's why. That you need to be humble. That you need to stop thinking, Nebuchadnezzar, that you built this. And you need to humble yourself before God and recognize that this is something that God gave you and he can take it away just as easy. The roots of the tree tell you that, that, that one, at one point, you'll be given back your kingdom. But for a period of time, it's going to be tough. And then, then Daniel pleads with him. Daniel, in verse 27, pleads with him and says, Break your wicked past. Break from it. And be merciful to the poor. That's the thing he really identifies. Stop seeing everybody as assets. Stop seeing them as your subjects and start caring about the people that you're in charge of. Do that, and then maybe you will prosper and this won't happen to you. But all these, happen, these things happened. Uh, when you read scripture, one thing I recommend you doing is that sometimes it'll tell you a period of time. It's like there's something happens, in it, but it's like one sentence or a word sometimes. Stop and take a deep breath because we just kind of go right through it and we think that things are happening right away. But it says 12 months later. So a whole year goes by from the dream. Whole year. And Nebuchadnezzar is out walking on the flat of his roof and he's getting kind of full of himself and he's puffing out his chest and he says, look at all I have done all on my own. The great city of Babylon. By my mighty power, I have built this beautiful city. And while the words were coming out of his mouth, a voice called out, Oh, King Nebuchadnezzar. Oh, King Nebuchadnezzar, this message is for you. You'll no longer rule this kingdom. You'll be driven from human society, and the dream happens. The dream happens, and he's out, and he's for seven periods of time, he's out. And, and the voice reminds him that the most high rulers of the kingdom of the world are given by God. That, that God, God gives that authority, and it's not by you. Let's remember, too, that, that this is taking place during a time when, when the people of Israel, when, when the people of God have been in exile for a long time. They're coming to the end of that. They, they are used to their society, their culture being subjected. They're used to being oppressed. And this is what we're walking in. That's what they're experiencing. And they're being reminded of this. The book of Daniel reminds us this over and over. That sometimes we may think that, that we are experiencing that oppression. But trust me, it is nothing compared to what has happened to the people of God. And it is okay. God is still in control. That's what this book is telling them. Over and over we see this happen in Daniel. The one on the throne gets humbled <laughs> because of his arrogance. And the ones that, 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 that are kind of leaning into that, that, uh, that throne, they're humbled as well. So, after time passed, Nebuchadnezzar, he's, he's out, he's acting like him, And there's this great line, I love this line, that he looked up to heaven and his sanity returned. And then he gave praise to God. He didn't give praise to God because he was an animal, so he couldn't do it well that. He was, he was, but all he did was he stopped looking at the grass that he was eating and looked up. Oh, that's beautiful. When you talk about being humbled, sometimes it's as easy as that. When, when, we, when we stop looking at what we're wearing and what we're doing and where we're standing and around the thing, we just simply look up to God and our heart is moved and humility takes over. At that moment, God restored his kingdom and Nebuchadnezzar praised the Lord. Let's fast forward 
28 years pass. From chapter 4 to chapter 5, that, that 28 years about pass. So now Daniel is 80-something years old. There's a new king, a different king that's taken over, Belshazzar, uh, has taken over and he's having this feast and he's celebrating and he's drinking a bunch of wine and he's using the cups and the, the, the bounty of his predecessor to kind of have this celebration to show how awesome he is even though he, let, he actually has done nothing even though also his kingdom is about to fall because the Persians are closing in and going to take over but he's, he's there and he's having this party and it's all going well and all of a sudden there's this handwriting on the wall and he's terrified. It actually says, I love this, in verse 6, it says his face turned pale when he saw this, and his knees began to knock together. That's actually really funny. <laughs> it's like, that's a funny way to, and, and what's even funnier is, I don't know if you've ever been scared enough to actually have your knees knock. I have. It, it, it's a real thing. Like, when you're terrified, your knees literally do start to shake. I had a pit bull charge me in the woods one time on a walk, and I thought I was going to die, and my knees were shaking for like 20 minutes afterwards. I was so, so frightened by it, and uh, that was one of the most scared I've ever been, and there's other times where if you've ever been scared, that actually happens. That's the level of fear that he was at. Now, it's funny, that's scaring them, but the enemy outside wasn't. So that's interesting to know about the lack of humility that this king has. So the king called, again, for the experts. The experts came in. They couldn't read it. Again, they have one job to do, to read. They couldn't do it. So the queen mother, smart, and she says, hey, what about that guy Daniel, you know, your predecessor? Daniel was really helpful. He knew stuff. Why don't you go get him? Uh, so he does that. So he gets, goes and gets him. Daniel has this exceptional ability, you know, and, and he can do this. So Daniel comes before the, the king, and it's really interesting. He says, if you can read these words, Daniel, I'm going to give you a bunch of stuff. I'm going to put, put robes on you and rings in your finger, and I'm going to put you in charge of stuff and all this. I love this. So remember earlier when Daniel was afraid to tell the king what was happening? Remember that? Daniel's response now is very different. It's, it's the difference between a 50-something-year-old younger guy and an old guy that's 80, I think, uh, think if, you're, if you're in the room and you're closer to one of those than the other, you might understand what I'm saying here. Daniel's response is like, keep your gifts, give them to somebody else. I don't care. <laughs> he just says, yeah, you just keep your stuff. It doesn't matter. I don't need that stuff. Because he's, 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 he's seasoned. He's been through this before. He knows how this goes. And he also knows what's going to happen, whereas the king doesn't. It's the difference in perspective. So, Daniel then gives a shout out to Nebuchadnezzar, his predecessor. And then he says to him, basically, you have been proud and full of yourself. And you have defiled things. And you have, you've been so full of yourself. And, the, and then he has no problem reading the words, many, many, tekel, and parson. Basically, it just means coins. It's, it's, it's nickel, nickel, dime, quarter. That's what the words are. Nickel, nickel, dime, quarter. It's, it's simple words that should be able to understand. And you wonder whether or not the other guys could actually read it, but they just didn't understand what it meant, or they were too scared to tell the king. One of those, one of those things has happened. It doesn't matter, but Daniel's not scared to tell him. He's going to tell him, and he just says, well, <clears throat> it basically just means your days are numbered, and you've been weighed, and you're, you're going you're gonna to go out. You're, you're, you're weighed to lo lose, that your kingdom's going to be taken from you. It's going to be divided, and you're going to die. <laughs> So he just tells him. Belshazzar still gives him a bunch of stuff, still puts a robe on him and all that. But wouldn't you know it, unlike Nebuchadnezzar, this king does not humble himself. He does not raise his eyes to, to heaven. He continues to party. He continues to drink. He continues to do the things that he was doing. And that very night, he loses his life. He loses his kingdom. And it's all over. And again, we know that God is in control 
of the kingdoms of this world, that he is in control, no one else. And what do we learn from this? We learn some lessons for ourselves because here's the deal. When we read the Bible, sometimes it's hard to relate to certain things. Okay, okay, Chris, those are two kings. What do we do with that? I don't have, I don't have a kingdom. I don't have that. That's not where I am. But, but you do. You have a kingdom. It's just a little smaller K. <laughs> we each have our kingdoms that we have. And the lesson is humility. That to be fully human, to be fully human is to be fully humbled. And that's what Nebuchadnezzar experienced. He was created, he turned into beastliness, but then once he humbled himself and looked up, that humility brought back his humanity. Isn't humility something odd, though? Because here's how it works. If you think you have it, you don't. (laughs) If you do have it, you don't know it. And if others say you have it, you won't believe them. (laughs) That's how humility works. It's kind of interesting. So what's a good definition of humility? C.S. Lewis gives us the best definition, probably. Uh, It's simple. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. That is at the core of what humility is. Think about yourself less. Over and over when I encounter people that are struggling in life, if they would just simply stop focusing on their, their this, the grass they're eating, <laughs> and look up, it would change everything. So we're going to go through just some, some practical steps that you can use to step into humility, some practical ways that you can, you can learn this. And, and what's beautiful about this is we don't have to stay in the book of Daniel. The idea of humility is spread throughout Scripture. It's everywhere. There's constantly references to it. So the first one is to know the truth. In order to be humble, you have to know the truth. It's getting that, that idea and that, that vision of what is actually going on around it. Stop looking at your feet in the grass and look up and see where you're at and see the reality that you're living in. When you do, it'll help you be humble. We read about this in John chapter 8. You will know the truth and the truth will make you free or will set you free. Truth will bring humility and freedom both. It will bring freedom that you have to start with what's real and understand what's going on in order to be set free, in order to experience humility. I'm reading a book called Canoeing the Mountains, and it's about Lewis and Clark and how they they went across to find a passage to the Pacific, and uh, they thought that once they got over the top of the mountains, there'd be this, this, this waterway that they could find, and it's all about how their paradigm had to shift that they, they were trying to find a waterway. They were paddling, they were canoeing, and they got over the mountains, and what'd they see? A whole lot more mountains. <laughs> the reality of their situation, the truth of their situation, forced them into being not canoers, but explorers, which is what they really were. And our truth of who we are will take us from being in this little space that we made up to being in the real world that God has placed us in. And when we do, we experience freedom, and it is awesome. Joy comes with it, because now we know we're not the center of the world anymore. Now we know that, that, that all the problems that we're, we're dealing with don't really matter that much. I mean, they may matter a bit, but, but we can get through them because there's a bigger world out there. Now, here's some, here's some practical things. I want to just talk to the parents in the, world, in the room real quick. Here, here's one way that you can help the next generation understand truth. Uh, stop telling them that they're the best. They're not. Because you know you're not. (laughs) There's nobody in this room or online right now, I would be willing to bet, that is the best at anything. You name what you're really good at, what your, what your, your, your top skill is, 
I bet you a million dollars there's somebody better than you. <laughs> we all know this, but yet we tell the generation behind us, you're the best at this, you're the prettiest, you're the smartest. No, they're not. They're, that doesn't change their value, though. They are very valuable. Jesus died for them, and it isn't tied to them being the best or the smartest or the prettiest, and neither is yours. So know the truth. Sit in the truth space, and that will help you be humble. That leads to the next one. No self. You have to know yourself. You have to look in the mirror and, and take an accurate judgment of who you are and what you're good at and what you're not good at. And you have to give glory to God about those things you're not so good at. And you have to understand that you're never going to be the best or, or even great at some of these things. And that's okay. You know, when a, Pastor Jim asked me that question, what square, scares me about going into this campus is because I know a whole lot of things I'm not very good at. <laughs> There's a lot of it. I'm not very good at a lot of things. I'm only good at two or three things. <laughs> There's a lot that I know that God's going to have to do miracles, and already I see him doing that. I love it when God works through my weaknesses instead of my strengths, because what he does is he brings others in. He brings others in to make up for that gap, and it's just wonderful. You do have skills. You do have talents. And here's the verse that we're going to go to. Romans 12 says this, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, do not think of himself more highly than he ought. But think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Remember, God assigns that faith. God gives you those gifts. God gives you those skills. And he'll increase those as your faith increases. He will give you more. He'll give you more of that. But you got to know what you're good at. And some of you are just naturally good at stuff. If you're naturally good at stuff, that's awesome. But you probably didn't do anything for that. You know, I, I love it when, 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 when people talk about, oh, he's, he's so, they're so tall. <laughs> like they did anything for that. He's so short. Like you did. It's like those are, skill, those are things that God just imparts on you. So balance yourself between these two things. What I'm not saying is don't be self-deprecating. Don't put yourself down either because that's false humility. If you just put yourself down, don't do that. No, know what you're good at and where those gifts come from and claim it. Paul's really good about this. He boasts in what Christ has done. And that leads to our next one, know others. As I talked about a second ago, that, that I know what I'm not good at and where God, God steps in and brings other people. And it's wonderful. It's one of my favorite zones to be in. Like I said, that, that there is something beautiful about knowing that I'm not good at this, but I know this person that is. I know this person that can help in this area. I know this that I can just hand out. And then when we work together as a body of Christ, that is what works. That's what spreads the kingdom. That's what spreads the gospel. And friends, right now, we live in a world that the number one operation of the enemy is to divide, to divide us. We are not meant to be divided. If we know ourselves and we know others, we know that we need each other, that we need others. Philippians 2 says this, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be, there's that word, humble. Think, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Think of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out for your own interests, but take on the interests of others too. That that is so key, that we need to be thinking about others. You want to be humble? Step into that. Stop thinking about your own grass that you're eating <laughs> and start thinking about others. Here's an important thing to understand about others. Others' gifts are not a reflection of your value. Others' gifts are not a reflection of your value. 
But at the same time, it doesn't mean you shouldn't ever compare yourself to other people. Sometimes we say you should never compare. The Bible doesn't say that, actually. The Bible says we should emulate people that we look up to. That, that, that when Paul is, is working with Timothy, do as I do. There's this Jesus, do as I do. That we are supposed to look at things that other people are good at and say, I want to be better at that. I know for me, just knowing that I, I have a friend that he's a really good storyteller. And that's how I became a better storyteller. Because I wasn't very good at it at all. And I started acting like that. There's things, there's other people that I know that are good at things and I need to start pretending that I'm that way and start leaning into that and that's okay. Others can bring such joy to your life. The last one we're going to talk about though is the most important. That we got to know Jesus. In Philippians it says you must have the same attitude as Christ Jesus had. We're just going to focus on that. Jesus is the one who actually didn't have to be humble. He's the only one. He was there when the, when the world was created. He was the word of God. He is the one that humbled himself to become flesh. Think about that. If you didn't have to be a stinky flesh person, <laughs> if you didn't have to deal with your flesh, would you? Of course not. You wouldn't want that. Jesus didn't have to, but yet he humbled himself and came and gave his very life for us. That is the ultimate expression of humility. And it's something that we get to experience through his grace and his forgiveness. And that is what it's all about. That we get to know the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, gave everything for us. And when we know that, when we know that, it will set you free and make you fully human. The worship team's gonna come on out and we're gonna experience communion in a few minutes. And uh, I invite you to stand. And if you're at home, go grab something real quick. Go grab some elements. We're going to experience communion. I hope you have the little things. And, but we're going to worship first. And as we do, communion is significant. I want you to just take a moment and let the humility of who God is wash over you. But also, if it gives you that feeling that, oh, I'm, not worth, I'm worthless, that's not humility. That's not it. Of course you're not. We're all sinners. But Jesus loved you so much. He died for you. And not only that, the Holy Spirit dwells within you. And you are a child of God when that happens. And you have value in Him. And that will bring humility and freedom and humanity.